0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His people Don Sunshine on learning to share your faith in Christ as a lifestyle.
1: And in reality, all we have to do is tell people that they're in trouble spiritually and how they can get out of the trouble. See, it's not our job to convince people, it's not our job to convict people, it's not our job to convert people, and it's not our job to save people. Mm. Our only job is to tell them, and the Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting.
0: Don Sunshine, next. Whether through his Make a Difference Live events or through his book by the same name, Don Sunshine aims to teach believers how to share their faith in Christ every day without fear, embarrassment, or hesitation. Don, tell us about your background. I know you've had a number of different careers, and then how God led you into the ministry of evangelism. Yeah, I was born and raised in New Jersey, and I became a police officer, and I was
1: on a SWAT team in New Jersey and uh, ended up getting injured on the job and, um, and a whole bunch of things happened, but I moved into computers, ended up selling computers way back when, ended up going to work for Apple for five years as a business development executive and um, stayed in the, comp- the high tech field for about 24 years until God called us into ministry.
0: And so Sunshine obviously is your real last name and I'm just wondering how did that work as a police officer? <laughs>
1: Yeah, Officer Sunshine. Uh, kind of sounds like a cartoon character or a superhero, you know?
0: <laughs> but yeah, great.
1: It was a great name. That's actually the first thing I talk about in my training is my last name and where did it come from.
0: Well, well tell us how God led you into evangelism, and I, I, I know part of that story is Ron Hutchcraft, who is uh, one of our speakers on the weekends here on Pilgrim Radio.
1: Well, I when I, I got saved at 19 at premarital counseling, and uh I had a heart for evangelism right away because I I was like stunned. I mean, you can actually know for sure that you're going to heaven. And I, I I went crazy, no tact, just trying to share my faith with everybody that I cared about to tell them they could know for sure that they were going to heaven when they died. And everybody thought I lost my mind and I was crazy, had no tact. And so I retreated into what I'll call the secret agent Christian mode, where if you give me the password and secret handshake, I'll tell you about Jesus. And uh, mm-hmm. the entire time I was working with teenage guys in a program called Christian Service Brigade. I was an Eagle Scout, so I, I loved camping and the outdoors. Uh, led a lot of young men to Christ and discipled them. And uh, then I got called into ministry, much to my surprise. I don't have a seminary degree or Bible college degree. I'm just a regular layperson that uh, was convicted after I heard a message back in 2000 uh, that I needed to be sharing my faith more than just once a week, or you know, when I got together with the kids and I didn't know how to do it. And I was scared to death and had all the fears everybody else had. And I just decided I love motorcycles, I'll start telling people who ride motorcycles about Jesus. Not an easy group to start with. And uh, (laughs) so I figured out how to overcome the fear and I made a commitment that I was going to begin sharing my faith with every person I could possibly share with every day. And so uh, I was working as a youth action director, I got called into this ministry at a, uh, um, it was actually a radio network, but they had a big youth department, I was the youth action director, <laughs> and we brought Ron Hutchcraft in to do a pastor's appreciation luncheon in October of 04, and he requested a, an escort slash bodyguard. Well, I was the only one in the ministry that had a police background, so they tapped me and said, you're the guy. So I spent three days traveling around with Ron, and he watched me do what I do, and he goes, why aren't you teaching people to do what you do every day? He said, you got all these really cool stories. And he said, I don't know anybody that's doing what you're doing. And I said, well, Ron, I I can't have people follow me around as I interact with people every day. He said, yeah, but you have presentation skills. You've done corporate board uh, presentations and keynote addresses at Apple. You just need a starting point. Take my book, A Life That Matters, and, and build a training. Don't keep it to yourself. So I started doing the training, and it wasn't even part of my job description. And I ended up doing 117 of them when I was at this ministry, And my wife and I left in October of 08 and started doing it full-time. And to date, we've done 745 trainings, I believe. We've equipped almost 41,000 people in 36 states to begin sharing their faith in Christ every day as a lifestyle without fear, embarrassment, or hesitation.
0: By way of a definition, and sometimes it's really good to define the topic, what is evangelism?
1: Well, evangelism is simply taking the initiative to share Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving all the results to God. You know, we put all this pressure on ourselves that what if they say no? And these are all fears from the pit of hell. You know, all the lies the devil tells you why you can't do this. And in reality, all we have to do is tell people that they're in trouble spiritually and how they can get out of the trouble. See, it's not our job to convince people. It's not our job to convict people. It's not our job to convert people. And it's not our job to save people. Mm. Our only job is to tell them. And the Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting.
0: The pressure's off in that sense.
1: It is. Absolutely is.
0: How emphasized in the average church today is evangelism
1: you know i thought god gave me 24 years of business development experience to prepare me to do this then i found out it doesn't work Hmm. uh churches are just not interested in this um one of the hardest things i've ever done in my entire professional life is get a church to make a commitment to bring me in and we're faith-based all we ask is travel expenses and love offering there's no minimums no guarantees we're only about 63% funded, but God's kept us alive through the love offerings that we get as we train uh, to be able to continue to live and run the ministry. And it's just it's very, very difficult. And even when we do a training, I tell pastors right up front, I said, if you book this training on a Saturday, by the way, training's only four hours plus breaks, uh, we average about 10% of the Sunday morning attendance on Saturday. Hmm. And it doesn't matter where I go in the United States, it's a pretty consistent number. And on Sundays, I'll tell them, you'll get a lot more of your people to attend because they want to check the box and say, I was in church. And when they get there, they find out that I'm not going to make them do any role playing. There's no group practicing. They're going to sit back, listen, fill in the blanks on the on the paperwork that we provide and just absorb it and figure out how to put it into practice. And it's not that hard to do.
0: Well, my guest today on His People is Don Sunshine. He is founder of Don Sunshine Ministries, author of the book, Make a Difference, How to Share Your Faith in Christ as a Lifestyle. And he also, as he just explained, uh, teaches this in a seminar format uh, across the country. Well, Don, one thing that you stress is that we can learn to share our faith without fear or embarrassment. And I think it's pretty obvious that it's those two things that keep people from doing that what are the main reasons the main fears uh that that you see that probably we all know but that it would be helpful for you to lay them out for us there's
1: a host of them it's what if they reject me what if they laugh at me what if they make they'll make fun of me what if they call me names what if they won't be my friend anymore Uh, what if they ask me a question i don't know the answer to it i'm going to look stupid
0: what about that i mean how do you overcome fears like that i'll, I'll lose respect uh I'll, my family won't talk to me anymore uh the people at work will avoid me or whatever the case
1: for me i had no one to teach me how to do this and as i said i made a commitment to the lord that i was going to start sharing my faith and i had to figure out how to overcome this mm-hmm. for me and what i tell the people that i'm equipping is about 80 percent of my fear went away when i started carrying a good accurate written tool to share with someone and then another 10 percent went away When i expected that person to say no i don't want to give my life to christ and you haven't failed if they say no i don't want to give my life to christ you've only failed if you haven't told them you're in trouble let me tell you how to get out of the trouble and once you plant that gospel seed god's smiling and saying well done my good and faithful servant
0: so in terms of telling them they're in trouble and how to get out of trouble what does that look like what do you say
1: well it depends. I carry a number of different written tools with me. And depending upon the situation, and by the way, there's lots of good written tools out there. There's also a lot of inaccurate written tools out there. Mm. And so one of the things we teach in the training is I say, listen, I'll show you the ones that I like to use for me. They're not the only good ones, but the way you tell a good accurate written tool from a, an inaccurate one is the tool needs to mention repentance in word or description if it doesn't talk about that don't buy it don't give it to anybody because all you're going to do is create a false convert you know we've created this this sinner's prayer and telling people all you got to do is repeat these words and you're going to heaven yet it's nowhere in the scriptures it's a heart's decision as it says in romans 10 and you can make a decision in your heart without repeating a prayer or if you want to speak to god in the form of a prayer and tell him what's in your heart that's fine too but um you know there's a lot of good and bad stuff out there what i tell like I have six questions that I teach people how to turn a conversation because I tell people when you go out into the world as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to have your spiritual radar on and understand that your sovereign God is going to bring you people that you're going to connect with every single day. When you have those connections, those are divine appointments by your sovereign God. Recognize why you are where you are, which is the first point of our training, and then turn the conversation. And here's where everybody gets stuck. They may recognize a divine appointment, feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit in their life, but they can't make the transition in the conversation so nothing's said of a spiritual nature. And so we give them six questions to ask and one of them is real simple. Can I share something with you to change my life? I have never had someone say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> And at a minimum, you can when you're 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 scared to death, you're doing this for the first time. Just hand them a piece of good, accurate gospel literature and say, "Here, I'd like to give this to you as a gift. We take it home and read it. It can change your life as well." Now, as you get more comfortable, you have a longer conversation when you do that. You don't just give it to them and run. Uh, but you know, I'll say to somebody, you know, you know, we're all going to die someday, and the problem is we're all going to stand before God because we're all guilty. We've lied, we've stolen, we've lusted, we've cursed, and. God is holy. He can't let us into heaven with that sin in our lives. So that debt needs to be paid by us or by someone who's who can pay it for us. and The only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. This little booklet here will tell you how to how to have Jesus pay your debt in full. Will you take it home and read it?
0: And you talk about uh, as you just said a moment ago the importance of you know have if you will having our spiritual radar on or uh, being sort of tuned in to when God in His in His sovereignty gives us a, such a. A divine appointment, if you will. What what is involved in that? I mean, I, can we miss those? Oh, we miss them all the time, and most of the people in
1: teaching t- teaching uh, miss them all the time. Um, you see, I, I don't think we we understand the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Number one, but uh, number two, when you when you go out into the world and God connects you with someone, meaning they ask you a question, you have a simple conversation. Those are divine appointments, and people don't even know why they are, where they are. They don't recognize that God keeps bringing us people that we're going to connect with. And when the connections occur, bells should go off in your head going, ding, 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 ding. The door just opened. Invite them to go to heaven. And then how do you turn the conversation and and turn it from whatever it is God connected you with that person about to what he wants you to talk about?
0: So does the door, I mean, when you talk about the door opening, a divine appointment, that kind of thing, does it have to be something that is... I mean, of a spiritual nature, uh, or? Oh, no, it's, it's almost never of a spiritual nature. Oh. It, it, I'll,
1: I'll give you an example, okay? I, I've been going down to Daytona Bike Week to share the gospel with motorcycle riders for 24 years. And uh, I shared this, last year, I shared the gospel with 42 people in five days. Now, to be fair, I look for police officers and I look for um, veterans mm-hmm. and I will seek them out. And I will go up and start a conversation. The rest of them are like unexplainable, for example, Uh, There's a half a million people there. I'm standing in line watching a man doing a tool demonstration. The guy next to me says, wow, that is really neat. I'm going to buy one of those and take it back to New Jersey. Now, if he had said, I'm just going to buy one of those, there wouldn't have been a conversation. But he said, New Jersey. So Hmm. I recognized that was a divine appointment. So I said, you're from New Jersey? He said, yeah. I said, where are you from? He said, Roxbury. I said, I lived in Flanders for 11 years. That's right next to Roxbury. I said, are you retired or do you work? He said, I'm a retired police officer. I said, get out. Where? He said, in Roxbury. Roxbury and the town I worked in, Morris Township, share a road. And I said, when were you a cop there? We were police officers at the same time, and we knew some of the same people. Wow. Now, how do you explain that out of a half a million people? Then the guy next to him says, I'm from Hackettstown, New Jersey. That's on the other side of Flanders. And then, so I'll share the gospel with them, give them some literature, pray with them, then I'll move on to someplace else. In the meantime, God is already handpicking someone that he's going to have me connect with at the next place I stop. And this happens over and over and over again, and they're unexplainable other than there's a sovereign God in control of the whole
0: thing. I love the way you put it. You put it here, you explained it, that idea of thinking through what you refer to as our connections, or in other words, uh, people that might be more inclined to listen to us because we have something in common with them, as you just explained.
1: Yeah. And it's it's very, very simple. I mean, it's I, you know, I was going out to ride to meet a friend to ride a motorcycle and I wear police operator pants. They're kind of lightweight, but they've got big pockets on them, so I can carry gospel literature with me. <laughs> and and so when I'm out on the motorcycle and my feet are extended, the wind blows my pants leg up over my boots and it looks kind of dorky. So I have these really neat straps that I bought. They they very heavy clips and you clip both ends of the pants around your boot. So it stays down. So I put this on and I go out for a ride to meet a friend. I'm only three miles from home and one of the clips falls off and I look down and it's hanging on the ground at a traffic light. So I'm like, how'd that come off? They never come off. I pulled off the road immediately into a gas station, got off the motorcycle to clip it back on. And a man pulls up in a, in a car, rolls his window down, says, anybody who rides an Indian would never ride a Harley Davidson again. I looked at him. I said, well, how would you know that? He said, I have two Harley Davidsons. Divine appointment. Yeah, I went over and shared the gospel with him and prayed with him. And when I went back, see, I love doing this. I love looking back and saying, "Okay, Lord, what did you have to do to get me to meet this person? Had that strap not come off of my pants leg, I never would have met that guy." Mm -hmm. You know, I have another one. I was I was in Somerset, New Jersey, with my wife. We were going to teach at a church, and we bring our little pooch with us. And so they put us on the top floor longest, the farthest room away from the elevators you can be. And these very, very considerate people took all of the luggage carts and kept them in their room. So we didn't have a luggage cart. So I'm hoofing all this stuff up the elevator. We walk all the way down the hallway. I'm bundled down, you know, like a pack mule. And Kathy tries both keys and they won't open the door. She said, here, you try. I dropped everything I had in my hands. I tried it. It wouldn't work. I said, stay here. I'll go back down and have them reprogrammed. So I go walking down the hallway, get in the elevator, push the down button, and as the door is closing, this woman scampers in. So we're on the top floor, I said, so I assume you're going down? She goes, well, actually, I'd like to be going up. And I said, you don't know whether you're going up or not? And she said, no, is there a way to tell? I said, yeah, you can know for sure. She said, tell me. So we get down to the first floor, she goes to the lot, to the front desk, take care of her business, comes back, and and I said, listen, what's your name? She said, Sarah. I said, Sarah, where are you from? She said, Seattle. I said, what are you doing in in Somerset, New Jersey? She said, well, this is where I'm from. I got married. My husband got a job in Seattle, and he died suddenly of a heart attack at 42. We're moving back to Somerset to be with my family. Hmm. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, do you have kids? She said, I have a 14-year-old. I said, let me explain to you what you need to do so that when you die, you're going to go up and not down. She said, oh, good. I can't wait to hear so all I did was take out a Billy Graham Steps to Peace with God track, took her through page by page and just explained it to her, made sure she understood it. I said, do you understand it? She said, yes, I do. Thank you so much. I said, let me pray for you. Put my hand on her shoulder, prayed for her salvation and for comfort and peace uh, and the loss of her husband. And I went up the elevator. My wife is leaning against the wall at the end of the hallway. I said, sorry, divine appointment in the elevator. And she <laughs> said, I figured that's what happened. But again, she turned the conversation saying, well, actually, I'd like to be going up. Mm-hmm. And I right away, the Holy Spirit was like, she's talking about a spiritual thing, not the elevator. And I got it right away and was able to share with it.
0: My guest is Mr. Don Sunshine, and we're talking about evangelism, about sharing your faith in Christ as a lifestyle, which is really the subject of his book, Make a Difference, and of his Make a Difference or MAD seminars that he teaches across the country. Well, well Don, I want to ask you about an illustration, uh, a story, a true story that you tell in your in your book, the story of the Titanic and the lifeboats and the loss of life and how it applies to evangelism.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, most of the lifeboats were because they felt the ship was unsinkable and uh, there was no reason to practice lifeboat drills. When the ship struck the iceberg, there was mass confusion and Captain Smith gave the order women and children first. And uh, most of the lifeboats were launched at least less than half full. I mean, I report some people in lifeboats that could have held 40 people that they actually launched with only 12 people in it. And so I tell people imagine you're in a lifeboat with 28 free seats, and right out here around you is this sea of lost and dying people. And they are screaming, begging you to come back and pull them out of the 28 degree salt water. And you don't move a muscle. And then within minutes, it starts getting quiet because people are dying 15, 75, 200 at a time. And then there's that one last voice that's holding out, and then that voice is silenced, and pardon the pun, but there's dead silence on the water and you're left with your thoughts. Reportedly, no one said anything to each other all night in the lifeboats, and early the next morning, a ship called the Carpathia comes. They rescue everyone who's in lifeboats and retrieve as many frozen bodies they can find floating in the North Atlantic. They give you a stateroom and a change of clothes. You get to take a hot shower and warm up. Then you have to look yourself in the eyes. When you look in the mirror, how do you feel knowing you did absolutely nothing and you had 28 free seats in your lifeboat and sadly that's a picture of the church in america today because god has placed us in a sea of lost and dying people and the, and most of them don't even know they're lost they're not screaming for help and we're not going back for him because we're content to have lifeboat parties with everyone who's already saved we got fellowship dinners and small groups and sunday school picnics and bible studies nothing wrong with those things but what about those people that god has left has left in our lives we've got lost friends relatives, neighbors, co-workers, people we meet at the store, divine appointments that God gives us every single day. And see, and the problem is that, again, we have a bad definition of evangelism. And, we, you know, all God expects us to do is to say, hey, listen, pal, I care about you. If you stay where you are, you're going to die. Why don't you come in the lifeboat with me? Here's how you can get in. And if you just do that, Leave all the results to god you're 100 successful it takes all of the pressure off
0: and obviously don in the scripture there is the gift of evangelism we can see somebody like billy graham obviously that has a special gift but you're saying the scripture teaches that this is really for everybody
1: oh it is it, i mean it's a command to do this and we're all full-time ambassadors for jesus christ you know the chairman of the board of my ministry is a retired Baptist minister. And I wanted a pastor on our board to make sure that when we made big decisions, we were not doing anything to violate scripture. And he knows the Bible a whole lot better than I do. He's got all the education. And he came down to Daytona Bike Week with me and uh, in 2008. And we came back and he, he called me up and he said, Don, I have shared Christ with more people in the past two days than I did in the previous 14 years combined as a Baptist minister. He said, I don't have the gift of evangelism. As a pastor, I've been called to do the work of an evangelist. And I've always struggled with that. He said, but I can do what you're doing. I said, Ron, anybody can do what I'm doing. And he said, it was uncanny how no matter where you went, as we just traveled around, went wherever we felt like going, God kept bringing you people that you connected with in ways that aren't explainable other than God brought that person to you. And I said, Ron, it happens to everybody. So here we are a whole bunch of years later, and Ron shares his faith in Christ every day as a lifestyle, just like I do, because it's not that hard to do. I have the testimonies of the parents of two seven-year-olds who sat through this on a Sunday morning, and they both put it into practice. I do the same training in Christian middle schools and high schools because we make it hard. It's very, very simple to do. And this is what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. Right. We are, as Ron Hutchcraft says, we are all ambassadors for Christ, but we're cleverly disguised as something else. For example, I was a full-time ambassador for Christ, cleverly disguised as a police officer. Today, I am a full-time ambassador for Christ, cleverly disguised as a motorcycle rider. And so it, we, you know, we all have these clever disguises, but our primary role and responsibility on planet Earth is to make disciples, which begins with you telling someone about Jesus. Mm.
0: And I think you, you alluded to this uh, a few minutes ago, but can you talk about the importance of knowing where we are and when we live and the connection to the biblical story of Esther?
1: Yeah, I mean Esther was divinely positioned by God to save lives, and uh, you know here's here's a uh, um, you know here's a guy Haman who hates the Jews was able to get a proclamation issued that's going to end up in the death of all the Jews. Especially hated this one Jew who wouldn't bow down to him. His name was Mordecai, and so. Haman gets this award from the king, goes home for lunch, and I'm paraphrasing. He has a, sure. There's a big party being thrown in his honor. He's not enjoying any of these seething with anger. And they go, Haman, hey what's your problem? You know, you got all these awards from the king. Everything's going great. He said, sorry, folks. I can't enjoy any of this as long as that guy Mordecai won't bow down when I go by. He's the only one in the king that violates the law. So depending upon you know, what you look up in the Hebrew, um, his, his friends say, hey, uh, why don't you if you, why don't you hire a contractor, install an eight-story high can be either an impaling pole or a gallows, and will either impale him on a pole up there or hang him. Would that make your day? So he contacts his relative Esther, who's the queen of Persia, and he says, Esther, you got to do something. This crazy guy, Haman wants to kill all the Jews, that includes us, he's got this really bad plan for me, wants to impale me on a pole in his front lawn or hang me from this gallows, do something. And she said, Mordecai, I'd love to, but it's not that simple. You can't just stroll out in front of the king anytime you want. They have guards there with swords and spears, and they're trained to run you through if you show up without being summoned. And he said, what are we going to do? This is life and death. She said, here's what I think we should do. Let's get all the Jews from exile with us to fast and pray for three days. Interesting number. And after three days, even if it means I'm going to die, I will go see the king. So they fast and pray for three days. Esther puts on her royal robes, strolls out to the edge of the king's court, and I think her heart was pounding out of her chest because it could be over like that. Mm-hmm. She steps out where he can see her, and he says, Queen Esther, what a great surprise. Come up here. Touch my golden scepter. Sit on the throne next to me. Over a couple of days and some lunches and some maneuvering, she's able to turn the tables on Haman so the Jews are rescued, and Haman gets impaled or hung on his own pole on his front lawn. How cool is that? And that's what the scripture says. And who knows, Esther, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. We are just like Esther. He's divinely positioned all of us where we live, where we work, where we recreate, who we sit next to on an airplane, who we have a conversation with at a gas station. They're all divine appointments by a sovereign God. And when you recognize why you are where you
0: are, you'll see divine appointments every single day. Don, I know I have to let you go in just a moment, but I wanted to ask you one other term that you you like to use. It's on the front of your book, and uh, obviously people are—the scripture talks about witnesses. We hear the word witnesses, but you say you prefer to use the term spiritual rescuer, and I wonder if you can tell us about that. Yeah,
1: that actually came from Ron Hutchcraft, and you know— There's a theme that goes through the whole Bible and that of being a rescuer. You know, it says, rescue those being led away to death, hold back those who are staggering towards slaughter, snatch others from the fire and save them. So the whole theme of our training is being a spiritual rescuer, telling people they're in trouble, how to get out of the trouble as a lifestyle. And I want to be careful because I know uh, Greg Laurie and some other people have a different definition of lifestyle evangelism than I do. Their definition is more of a negative one that you just live your life in a good way and people are going to go to heaven because of that. That's not what I'm teaching. I'm teaching how do you share your faith in Christ every day as a lifestyle, not as a, you know, we go to a special event and do it here. We do it a special event there just as you go out into the world, have your spiritual radar on. God's going to bring you people. Turn the
0: conversation, invite him to go to heaven, and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Well, sharing your faith in Christ as a lifestyle at the end of the day, by God's grace and with His help, it sounds like evangelism is still, in one sense, taking a risk. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And, you know, I
1: talk about the risk and it's not a big risk. I mean, we all think it is because the devil's lied to us. But as I said, I have the testimonies of the parents of two seven-year-olds who put this into practice after hearing it on a Sunday morning. There's a 10-year-old at the Valley Forge Baptist Temple in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, used his allowance to buy 30 Gospels of John after taking the training in his school, then in his church. And he had his aunt, who's a missionary at home on furlough, take him to the train station. He didn't come home till he shared the gospel with 30 people and gave each of them gospel literature. So we think this is hard, it's really not that hard to do and here's what happens. When you actually put this into practice and you become obedient to what Christ commanded us to do, your Christian life becomes the great adventure that God intended it to be but very few followers of Christ ever
0: get to experience. People would like more information about your book, about your seminars. How can they uh how can they find out more?
1: donsunshine.org, d o n s u n s h i n e.org We can do live events, which is the way I prefer to do it, but we can also do virtual events, which came as a result of the pandemic. So I don't have to actually travel all the way out to the territory that you're in. Unless somebody really wants it in person, we can do something Mm -hmm. virtually and equip people to start being obedient. And what happens is real church growth occurs, not shuffling the deck of existing believers and moving them from one church to another, but real church growth as the body of Christ is equipped to do
0: what God commanded us to do and left us here to do. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, evangelist Don Sunshine, author of Make a Difference, How to Share Your Faith in Christ as a Lifestyle. For more information, go to donsunshine.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Travis Dickinson on how our faith is strengthened in the midst of doubts and big questions.
1: And the great irony with all this is that there's so much evidence. Mm -hmm. There's so, I mean, Christians have been working on this from the beginning of Christianity. We've had apologists in the life of the church who've done this important work. And I would argue that the apostle Paul and uh, the rest of the apostles and Jesus himself was offering evidence to people in order to
0: address the questions and the doubts that they had. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.